A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum Brothers, sisters, respected viewers Assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. Today's lecture is supposed to be very much a continuation of where we left off the last time we met. As you remember, we began a topic in the series around knowledge and reason in Islam. We introduced the importance and the merit of knowledge in Islam in the first lecture. We spoke about the importance of aql in the second lecture and we want to continue with that topic so inshallah we finish it off today and we move on to trying to understand and inshallah it has been clear until now that it would be difficult to imagine how any type of ideological system could give more importance to knowledge and reason than what Islam has done. Inshallah, this, is, this part is clear, although I would hope that this comes out in the discussion part. And so, our next question, because this is supposed to be a little bit more in-depth than our usual superficial way of dealing with things, we want to also understand why does Islam give this importance to knowledge and to aql? What are some of the reasons? And so for that part, inshallah, today we will begin that topic. I doubt that we'll have time to finish it. Uh, but hopefully by you know midway to end of next lecture that topic will be done too and this time because we have focused so much on hadith until now we're going to focus on the Holy Quran to always uh, constantly re-establish the, the, the balance that's one and two to show that every point that we mention we can always find it in the Holy Quran but there are more things to keep in mind and we'll talk about that when we reach the verses of the Holy Quran so a few things to mention very quickly before we jump into the hadith uh, that the main topics that we're trying to cover today or the main let's call them sub-themes or themes that we want to cover one of them which we began last time is the relationship between knowledge and aql and we began the last time we met by saying that in a lot of cases you will find that the hadith and in Islam in general both are presented as though they are one thing. And sometimes they are demarcated, distinguished, but not by something very clear, and sometimes they are very clearly distinguished. So it all depends what you're looking at. But they definitely go together. So inshallah, today we finish that topic with a couple of ahadith. There's a question that sometimes comes up, or you know, I don't know if you have thought about it or not, but the question of experience. This is something that is in contemporary thinking is very important. So always we go back to Islam to see, has Islam spoken about this? Does it say anything about acquiring knowledge and aql through experience? Do we have anything about that in Islam or not? That's a second uh, quick question, inshallah, that we will address today. Another one has to do with, and inshallah, you have fresh in your mind this whole topic of 
you know, knowledge societies, where the world is going and how you build them, coming back to the notion of collective intelligence. And does Islam talk about knowledge and aql as something individual that a human being does all on their own in their corner? Or is there a collective dimension to this, a community dimension to this, a social dimension to this? So that if you want aql or if you want knowledge, both, then you have to include more than just your brain and your mind and your thinking and your knowledge. That it has to be combined with that of other people's. And of course, the, the linkages that we make here are that, the linkages we make here is that, if you remember when we talked about knowledge societies, we said that it's no different than in the previous model, we used to talk about economy in this way. So when you have an economic system, how does it work? Let's say, let's say you have a big company, a big store, for instance, that wants to establish itself in a region where it's not. It doesn't exist right now. And the end result is supposed to be that this is good for the entire economy and for that society. So how does it work? Well, you're going to need people and you're, you're going to need resources to go and build that building in the first place. You need the architects and the engineers and the city planners and the construction workers and so on and so forth until all of this is built. So you're already creating jobs and you're creating a movement of resources. Once that's in place, you're going to need people who work there. And all of these people are getting paid for the work that they're doing. Now they have money so they can go and buy stuff from that store or that company. So the company takes that money. But as it takes money, it needs to create new resources. Someone has to create those resources. And so the company has to pay other people to build those resources and so on and so forth. And so at the end of the day, yes, there are people who are constantly getting richer if this is working properly, but there's also a circulation of that which is the good. In this case, the money, because we're talking about an economic system. So we said in this new world, you can apply the same reasoning to knowledge. So if you're talking about a society that is truly a knowledge society, you have to be able to recognize the same pattern, the same model, the same thinking. Are you, to what extent are you able to generate knowledge? To what extent are you able to use and reuse the knowledge of others and then generate your own, produce your own good? which is knowledge in this case. So this is the idea of the collective intelligence. And so coming back to our question, does Islam say anything about collective intelligence? Intelligence that is beyond the individual, that is about communities. And that's why it's so important for all of you who are in you know, more professional worlds of, of work, you see this notion of communities of practice or communities where knowledge is shared, communities for knowledge sharing. So th these are all very contemporary notions. They've always existed under different ways. Now they're very regulated and they're very well thought out. So the same idea. Do we have anything related to this close or far in Islam or not? And then the importance of finding aql beyond the, the abstract theoretical into the way you view the world your attitude, your outlook on life, and then even beyond that, in your actions. So does Islam stop at, when it's talking about specifically about aql, that's what we want to finish off, 
Does it stop at the more theoretical abstract level, which often is how it is viewed in today's world? Or does it go beyond that to changing the way you view the world and changing the way you're going to act? So does it go all the way and make those analogies and those distinctions and those linkages or not? And then finally, and this is a, a theme that we began just to keep it fresh in your mind every time we talk, the ethics of knowledge and the ethics of aql. And what does that mean at the individual level, at the community level, at the societal level? So inshallah, once all of this is, is done, we can move to the second, the third topic in this case, which is going to be the why. Why does Islam give this type of importance to knowledge and to aql? And inshallah, as we said, we will focus more on the verses of the Holy Quran for uh, that component, inshallah, if we get there. So with that said, let's start looking at the hadith. So a first hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-aql wal-ilm maqroonan fi qaranin la yaftariqan wa la yatabayanan. Al-aql wal-ilm maqroonan. So aql and knowledge are linked together in a type of association where they never separate from each other and perhaps even more importantly for us, and they never contradict each other. They're never in conflict with each other. So this tells us that in cases where you may have a knowledge that contradicts aql, then you know that based on the definition we're going towards, that this is not the true Islamic knowledge we're talking about. Because otherwise, Islamically, knowledge and aql are supposed to be supporting each other, confirming each other, fully aligned and always together. The other hadith from Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam fi wasiyatihi li Hisham ibn al-Hakam and this is a very long wasiyah inshallah one day we can go through it. It's a long series of explanations from Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam in which he talks about knowledge and reason and all this rational aspect of our religion. So in this little part, he says, So again, this is the notion that those two don't uh, separate from each other. They always stay together. العقل uh, is always with knowledge. Imam uses the Quran to say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, and those are the parables, the similitudes, the examples, the analogies that the Holy Qur'an is constantly setting forth to the people. But none understand these examples, none understand them, none can use their aql to fully understand what these analogies are meant to say, except those who have knowledge. So of course that opens the door, and inshallah we'll talk about that. What type of knowledge? How is it that you need a certain type of knowledge so that you fully grasp these examples of the Holy Quran. And another hadith, so inshallah this, and we'll come back to that, so, so keep this in mind. In another hadith, Imam Ali alayhi salam says, So he's giving us one definition of what aql is here. It can be considered an explanation or definition of what aql is. And we're gonna talk, when we're gonna go through the characteristics and the traits of someone who has aql and knowledge, and inshallah in a couple of lectures we'll do that, and we'll go through a long series of them. 
to really understand it from different angles and we're gonna use that and come back to it when we're gonna talk about character development too. We're gonna see a lot of these cases, but here it's the link is with the tajruba, the experience. Al-aql tajarub. Aql, deep thinking as we defined it, or reflection, or intelligence, or reason, rationality, is to learn, to memorize, to remember experiences. The best of experiences are those from which you can extract a lesson. There's a counsel in it for you. There's advice. You learned something, you grew up with it. So there's a first point here beyond the, the, the first hadith uh, that we saw, the, the link with knowledge and aql. In this hadith, we see very clearly that Islam is valuing experience under the general banner, under the general heading of aql. It does give experience a lot of value. Imam Ali alayhi salam is saying this is one of the meanings of aql that you remember on condition. There's a condition. So long as you extract lessons from and you learn from something useful from your experience, then experience is aql, is one type of aql. This is important, we're going to build on it. And so, here as we're saying, this, the idea is that when he says, وَخَيْرُ مَا جَرَّبْتَ مَا وَعَوَكَ All experience is not equal. There are some experiences from which you really are able to extract a lesson. We can say, you know, you internalized it. It's really now part of who you are, so you grew as a result of that. And to a very large extent, this is also what we're going to try, we're going to see it in the hadith, what we try to do when we study history. You don't necessarily need to be the one going through the experience yourself in every case. If you are, great. But you don't necessarily need to make the mistake or go through the difficulty to learn the lesson from it. And that's why we spend so much time, for instance, studying the lives of Ahlul Bayt studying the lives of the Holy Prophet or the Prophets in general. It's that we understand what's going on in their times, what went on with other people. What are the circumstances that led to some becoming better and some becoming worse? And this is something we can do as well, inshallah, we'll talk about it, the types of knowledge that the Holy Quran encourages people to learn. One of them is history. So of course there is a link between this and the topic of experience. In another hadith, Imam Ali salam says, إِنَّ الشَّقِيَّ مَنْ حُرِمَ نَفْعَ مَا أُوْتِيَ مِنَ الْعَقْلِ وَالتَّجْرِبَةِ The wretched, the miserable, the unfortunate is the one who has been prevented from benefiting from the benefits of عَقْل and تَجْرِبَةِ and experience. So how are you prevented? You're prevented by not using the lessons that you were supposed to learn from the experience that you went through. So if you choose not to, and we defined after we said it's a deeper reflection. It's always a deeper, you don't take things at face value. You don't accept the superficial event and what's happening. You have to look deeper into it. And one of the reasons you're doing that is what lesson can you extract from the experience that you went through or what someone else went through. And here, when Imam Ali he's basically saying 
the miserable or the wretched is the one who cannot benefit from either or there's kind of a uh, an assumed uh, premise here which basically means that sure you are miserable if you are unable to fully benefit from the experience but you also have aql so if you were not able to learn through aql then at least learn from experience whether it's yours or someone else's and the other component of experience and we'll talk about that more in the future inshallah but experience there is the individual experience and then there's collective experience sometimes we have to think about experience as a community what have we learned as a community what what lessons do we need to pull together when we review our history our performance what has worked what has not worked okay so inshallah these uh, these points are clear the next hadith we have from imam ali alayhi salam again he says al-aqlu aqlan there are two types of aql aql tabi wa aql so one type of aql is the aql of he's referring to it as the aql of habit or custom and the other one is the aql that you acquire through experience so in other words there is the aql that you're born with and it's the force of habit and the other one is the one that you acquire through experience so someone might say well maybe only one of them is good the imam finishes by saying and both of them are beneficial both of them are useful and here and these are we've always said and we repeat again and again these are samples of ahadith there's a lot of ahadith that say the same you know give us the same notions and, and provide the same points and this is something that is recurrent there are a lot of ahadith that talk about how we are born with the, with the aql and we're going to see a few of them today as well so a question might arise so keep it in mind does it mean that you're stuck with what you've been given and inshallah today and until now just with the few hadith that we saw we've already started talking about things that should point to the direction of the answer which is no there are things that are going to modify that aql that you were born with of course you were born with the aql of course you're growing up with a certain aql but you're not bound to that there are things that can happen including tajrubah experience including ilm and we shall we shall see a hadith from imam ali and others that specifically say this that you're not stuck with the aql that you've been given you can modify it but it could this also means that it goes both ways you can make it better or worse the next hadith so this one is in shorter words fewer words Imam Ali says is something you're born with this is nature so this is something that you acquire because it's been shared with you and so you benefit from it so we can say it's by nurture okay so again, the big question we have now is does it mean that you're stuck with what you are, you are born with and you can't do anything about it? Or is there uh, any room for development? So the next hadith, this one is actually, I think, a very important one. We could spend uh, easily an entire lecture on it, but we won't. Imam Ali says, ليس العاقل 
من يعرف الخير من الشر The aql is not the person, the one who has aql is not the person who is able to identify or to recognize that which is good from that which is bad. Does it mean that this is not aql? No, no, he's saying this is aql. But this is the easy part of aql. This is the, the, the entry level. There's much more aql than that. So what is true aql? Imam Ali السلام, says, وَلَكِنَّ الْعَاقِلَ مَنْ يَعْرِفُ خَيْرَ الشَّرَّيْنِ the aql is the person who is able to recognize the lesser of the two evils. When there are no good options, when there are only bad options, which, ones, which one or which ones do you choose? How do you distinguish between options where none of them are ideal, where none of them are good? And there's a lot we can say about this. Just the recognition, just a statement that aql if it's really developed, goes beyond, let's say, what is the obvious. The obvious is you have black and white, you have right and wrong, you have good and evil, and you choose that which is good. Okay, what if it's gray? What if it's all bad? What if it's all evil? Do you choose any? Do you choose none? Do you have a choice to make? Imam Ali says the person who is stuck in that type of environment, in that type of circumstance, and he still knows which option to choose, this is the person who has true aql. And this, I think, is a very important point to keep in mind. There is a recognition here from Imam Ali and this is elsewhere, and we see it in the lives, and this is where one, of, one more reason why we spend so much time studying, for instance, the lives of Ahlul Bayt it's because we believe that in a lot of cases, the circumstances in which they had to live, the hardships which they had to manage and navigate, there was no ideal situation that they could easily choose. They had to calibrate, they had to balance out between a lot of goods and a lot of evils. None of them are pure and clear and clearly distinguished. And this is where we spend a lot of time trying to see how did the Imams navigate? Which Imam was a lot more firm and a lot more open? Under what circumstances? And why did the other Imam become more lenient or act in a different way? Why does one Imam refuse the bay'ah while the other one gives the bay'ah, gives up the bay'ah, or accepts to become a heir to the throne? You look at Imam Ali alayhi salam, completely different from Imam al-Hassan alayhi salam, completely different from the latter part of Imam al-Hussain's life, very different from Imam al-Rada alayhi salam, for instance. What's the difference? They're all Imams. They all have the same religious knowledge. So what's changing? Why does in one case do we decide that this is the right thing to do and in another case that is the right thing to do? So this is where the, you go back to a hadith like this, and a recognition that sometimes we have to face the reality that there are no ideal situations. There, there is no easy answer. There is no ideal, pure good that you can just do. You have to weigh all the sides and all the factors and the short-term, medium-term, and long-term repercussions to what you're about to do. Not just jump into reaction mode and do something because you know, you might believe in a value and you think this is what we're going to do as a blind reaction to what's going on. Are you really weighing all the circumstances and all the factors? 
Or is there more thinking that is required? This is the, the careful part of, or the deep part of reflection that we've been talking about. In another hadith, we have a hadith from Imam Ali السلام, again, in which he says, العقل غريزة تزيد بالعلم والتجارب العقل is a faculty or an instinct which increases before we saw the hadith that, say, that said it's a matter of nature you're born with it now he's saying but it is possible to increase it تزيد بالعلم والتجارب so we saw some hadith that talks that talks specifically about Aql and ilm, we saw a hadith that spoke about aql and tajrubah, experience. Now he's combining both, and that's the conclusion. And this is where I think people who spend a lot of time on the hadith of Ahl al-Bayt, the Holy Quran is even more so than this. It's truly mesmerizing to when you are able to go through them carefully, and you put them in the right categories, and you look at them in a very rigorous way, you see how they end up being like almost like mathematical or scientific formula, right? You, we had established already, we don't need to come up with the premises of our own. We saw it in the hadith that say that one way to increase your aql is through knowledge. One way to increase your aql is through tajrubah. And now he gives you the conclusion in another hadith, which he says, al-aqlu gharizatun, it's a faculty, it's an instinct that increases bil-ilmi wa-tajarub, with knowledge and with experience. So this is the short answer to, is it still possible to modify, to increase, which means it can decrease, by letting it die, by letting it wither. In another hadith, the Imam says, The best of things which support the tazkiyah of the aql, the tazkiyah can be considered the enhancement the purification or the enhancement of aql is ta'lim. So here we can say most likely the imam is referring to someone learning. By learning you enhance your aql. Because there were a lot of questions on what's the relationship, we keep talking about it now. The imam here is saying the best way or one of the best ways to enhance the aql is through ta'lim. Ta'lim can also mean by teaching. So uh, there's, and we'll talk about that. You will see it in the hadith, it's coming. So one way to understand it is to say, okay, by acquiring more knowledge, you have a better aql. By giving more knowledge, you, if you already have the knowledge and you give it to others, you get more aql. What else? Imam Ali salam says, And we talked about that in the past when we talked about the importance of aql, we said your merit as a human being in the first group of a hadith, we saw that your merit is based on your knowledge. In the second group of a hadith, we saw that your merit as a human being is based on your aql. So here the Imam is going back to that and he's saying your worth, your value, when you're weighed, your worth is what? Is based on your aql. So what do you do to increase that weight? Fazakkihi, enhance it, make it better. Bil through knowledge. Okay. Imam al-Sadiq salam says, كثرة النظر في العلم يفتح العقل. 
the abundance or the consistent looking into knowledge. So someone who spends a lot of time learning, thinking and learning, it expands, Imam Sadiq salam it says, it expands the horizons of your mind. It expands your aql. Yaftahul aql. Literally. You want to expand your aql, you want to have more aql, Imam Sadiq is giving you one trick here. Is that you constantly have to be in a state of learning. Constantly in a, surrounded by knowledge, thinking about knowledge, dealing with knowledge. In another hadith, <coughs> Imam Ali salam says, this one is another one that's I think very important. Min asbab al One of the surest causes or one of the surest signs of aql is rahmatul juhal. That you show mercy to those who are ignorant. And we can say a lot here. Again, one of these ahadith that can easily become its own lecture. First of all, it, there's a recognition here that people have different levels of aql and different levels of knowledge. That's one. Secondly, the Imam is making a very, because of the rahmah that he's saying that we have to show to those who do not have the knowledge, he's making a very clear distinction between someone who rejects the truth and someone to whom the truth has not reached or has not reached appropriately. For whatever reason, this person did not get the truth that has made you aql and that has made you alim. In that, in that point specifically. We, we all have knowledge in some things and we all have ignorance in some things. So those things that you know, in which you are alim compared to someone else, that truth has not reached someone or has not reached them appropriately. You may think that they should know by now, but if it was presented in the wrong way, you can still say that it has not reached them. We all understand and we've spoken about this, how there could be a psychological blockage because of how the information is presented. So the Imam says there's a distinction here. The way you treat someone who does not, has not accepted a truth changes. Have they gotten a hold of that truth and rejected it or are they still in a state of ignorance? If they are in a state of ignorance, then the third principle is that the expected sentiment and feeling and therefore behavior has to be mercy. You have to be in a state of mercy to someone who does not have the truth that you have. Which means what? If you are in a state of mercy, I could take it one step further. I would say the word that the Imam uses is very interesting or that Islam uses is very interesting. That you have to show mercy to someone who is ignorant. I would say, I would argue that a case could be made that this is the same feeling you have for humanitarian issues. When you see someone who has no shelter, when you see someone who has no food, when you see someone who has no water or money or 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 what do you feel you feel mercy towards them and so you want to help so there's a duty that comes with it you have to do something about it even if you do nothing at least your position your relationship to that person is stemming from a place of mercy 
But ideally, you would do something about it. You try to help one way or another. You would share a truth. You would teach the truth. You would communicate the truth. You would guide them to the truth. The same thing as you would do if someone is lacking shelter or food or, or, or. So here I would say there's a case that could potentially be made that we're talking about a human right, a basic human right that Imam Ali is talking about. If someone does not have knowledge, if someone is lacking what leads to them having the aql, then you're supposed to deal with them from a position of mercy, compassion. Okay. And then here, there's a lot of ahadith, inshallah, we're going to come back to them when we're going to talk about character development, trait development. Inshallah, we're going to spend a, a whole uh, theme on this. But maybe very quickly right now, just to look at some ahadith that touch on this topic, but it's to extract another principle out of them, not for what they're saying specifically, although that's always useful. Imam Sadiq alayhi salam in one hadith he says لَا يُعَدُّ الْعَاقِلُ عَاقِلًا حَتَّى يَسْتَكْمِلَ ثَلَاثًا A aqil cannot be considered aqil until he has fully completed three traits. The first one إِعْطَاءُ الْحَقِّ مِن نَفْسِهِ عَلَى حَالِ الرِّضَى وَالْغَضَبِ He has to be someone who accepts the truth against himself in a state of happiness or in a state of anger. If someone has a right over you, you recognize that right. So this is ultimate objectivity, right? So you don't let your feelings change your recognition of what is right and wrong, what is truth and false. That's first trait. The second trait, And that he is only happy for others, for the same things and to the same extent as those things that make him happy. In other words, this is what today, in today's world, they call the golden rule that you find in every religion and every big tradition. Treat others like you want to be treated. The Imam says, until this person has fully completed these traits. That's two. And three, وَاسْتِعْمَالُ الْحِلْمِ عِنْدَ الْعَثْرَةِ Al-hilm can be translated as patience, wisdom, forgiveness. So the Imam says, when there is a athrah, when there is a stumble, a slip, an accident, a mistake, this person who has aql is going to deal with it with, with wisdom and good judgment and forgiveness and patience. Hilm. Until you see these three traits in someone, you can't consider them to have become aql. That's one hadith. And as I said, inshallah, in the future, we're going to see there are dozens of these hadith that give us these different traits. These are just a few examples. In another one, he says, Imam Sadiq says, Kamal al-aqli fi thalatha. The perfection or the completion of your aql is in three, lies in three. At-tawadu'u lillah. So showing humility either for the sake of Allah, so you show humility to someone for the sake of God, or you show humility to God, before God. Okay, so you are humble because God is there. You're humble to God. So having certainty, not living in constant doubt and anxiety and questioning. There is a place for questioning and there is a place to have certainty. You can't consider someone to have aql in matters where there is an answer to be reached and they're not there yet. There's still a way to, to go. Their aql is still an evolution until they get there. وَالصَّمْتُ إِلَّا مِنْ خَيْرٍ and this is a huge theme in Islam. Inshallah, we'll talk more about it. The importance of silence. The importance of quietness. 
الصمت إلا من خير unless there is something good unless there is some virtue to be spoken unless there is a good reason to speak stay quiet that's a sign of عقل Imam al-Sadiq says okay and inshallah we'll talk more about that in the future Imam Ali السلام, says by leaving that that which does not concern you you complete your aql you perfect your aql by leaving aside that which does not concern you so of course the corollary to that is and pay attention to those things that concern you okay and this is important because we've talked a few times about the importance of being selective of focusing on the things that matter to you that are relevant to your life and then this is a longer hadith that I mentioned in the past that I would come back to and in fact I said there's a version of this hadith very very similar that is from Imam Ali السلام, and another one from the Holy Prophet I'm going to be reciting the one from the Holy Prophet but I'll refer to a couple of differences between them because they, they explain each other so the Holy Prophet says لم يعبد الله عز وجل بشيء أفضل من العقل so we saw already enough ahadith, I think, that make this point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not be worshipped by anything better than aql. The best type of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through aql. وَلَا يَكُونُ الْمُؤْمِنُ عَاقِلًا And the mu'min, the believer, because he's worshipping Allah, he cannot be said to be aql, to have aql, until he حَتَّى يَجْتَمِعَ فِيهِ عَشْرُ خِصَالٍ until there are 10 traits that you can find gathered, combined in this mu'min, in this believer. Al-khayru minhu ma'mool. Good virtue is expected of this person. When you see them, you expect them to do good. To speak in good, to act in good. They are a good person and you expect good out of them. It is hoped. Every time there is an amal, a hope, an expectation from this person, it is that they produce good. وَالشَّرُّ مِنْهُمْ أَمُونَ And evil and harm, people feel like they are safe from the harm and the evil of this person because they don't do it. That's a second trait. يَسْتَكْثِرُ قَلِيلَ الْخَيْرِ مِنْ غَيْرِهِ When he sees a little bit of good done by someone else, this person considers it a lot. وَيَسْتَقِلُّ كَثِيرَ الْخَيْرِ مِنْ نَفْسِهِ And he considers the abundant good the massive good that he does, he considers it very little. And he does not tire of seeking knowledge his entire life. Let's come back to the same themes. You see how they combine into each other. He does not tire of seeking knowledge his entire life. And he does not get frustrated or impatient because of the numerous people who constantly come to ask his help for all sorts of different matters and affairs. <laughs> to be, I'm not going to say degraded, but not to be in a position of power and authority and prestige is okay with him. The hadith of Imam Ali السلام, adds here something. He says, for the sake of God, or with God. So long as he is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't matter to him whether he's in a place of power or not. Whether he's degraded or respected. 
because there's something more fundamental and more important than that. وَالْفَقْرُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهِ مِنَ الْغِنَى And poverty is more beloved to him, preferable to him, than wealth. Again, the hadith of Imam Ali says, مَعَ Okay? The other, we're going to talk about that inshallah in the future, about how we're supposed to be about this world. So another interpretation here could definitely be that he does not care about wealth. In fact, he prefers to not have the wealth because he feels that there's a responsibility that comes with it. Okay, that's the other interpretation. Nasibuhu min dunya al-qut. The share, and so this supports this last part. The share that he wants from this world or he takes from this world is al-qut, that which he needs to sustain himself. Wal-ashiratu wa The Holy Prophet says, and the tenth trait, and if only you knew or how difficult this tenth trait is لا يرى أحدا إلا قال هو خير مني وأتقى He doesn't see anyone except to think to himself this person is better than me and has more piety than me so the Holy Prophet continues فإذا رأى من هو خير منه وأتقى sometimes he will encounter someone who is truly better than him more religious than him تواضع له ليلحق به he becomes humble before them so that he can catch up to them. وَإِذَا لَقِيَ الَّذِي هُوَ شَرٌ مِّنْهُ وَأَدْنَى And if he encounters the one who is worse than him and lower than him, قَالَ عَسَى خَيْرُ هَذَا بَاطٍ Perhaps the good of this person is hidden, is internal. I don't see the good in them that Allah sees. وَشَرُّهُ ظَاهِرٌ Everybody has something bad. In this case, this person... What they do bad, I can see it externally, it's there. But what is good about them is hidden, and I'm not seeing it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees it. وَعَسَىٰ أَنْ يُخْتَمَ لَهُ بِخَيْرٍ And perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it so that the end of the life of this person is a beautiful end, is a good end. Where someone, you know, look at the lives of some of the companions who joined Imam Hussein salam in the last days of their lives, and where they ended up. Someone who may have looked at their lives before would never have guessed that this is where they would be and how they would leave this world. So perhaps Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is not random. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding someone for something. They deserved this through your actions, through what you have done, through how you prepared yourself for that. So the Holy Prophet is saying, someone who is able not to judge others, or when they look at anyone, they are always focused on how much better they are and therefore what am I supposed to be working on in myself so that I can become as good as they are and if I don't see the good I'll say maybe the good is hidden all I'm seeing is the bad because the bad is apparent it's superficial and external and who knows how this person's life will end up if someone is able to complete all of these 10 traits the Holy Prophet says فَإِذَا فَعَلَ ذلك, if he's able to complete all these 10 traits فَقَدْ عَلَى مَجْدُهُ وَسَادَ أَهْلَ زَمَانِهِ His prestige or his honor or his nobility, in other words, in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this person's rank has just been elevated. فَقَدْ عَلَى مَجْدُهُ وَسَادَ أَهْلَ زَمَانِهِ And he has become the master of the people of his time. Of course, the people might not know, but this is in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This person is the master of the people of his time because of the way he looks at others because of how he is, the values that he has as the Holy Prophet 
as explained. The point of these few ahadith that we just went through, and we're not going to go, each one of these can become its own principle. But if we want to put them all together, which we're, we're, what we're trying to do here, these few ahadith, is that there is always a practical dimension to aql. Aql cannot be limited to just interpreting the data that comes in, the information that comes in, in the right way. You have to go a step beyond. And so the traits that the Holy Prophet was talking about, he's saying all of this is aql. And it's only when these ten are combined that the person is worshipping Allah through aql. Right? The hadith began with, Allah has never been worshipped with anything better than aql. لَمْ يُعْبَدِ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ بِشَيْءٍ أَفْضَلْ مِنَ الْعَقْلِ And the mu'min does not become aql until he, in him are gathered all of these ten. So, all of these ten, some of them are more perhaps ideological, they are a matter of belief, but a lot, a lot of these are a matter of outlook on life. This is how you interpret the world, this is how you interpret how people behave. And therefore, where your position is towards them, and therefore, how you act. And so this is where we're seeing that aql in Islam goes beyond the, the theory, and beyond the abstraction, as though it's just a mental state of understanding, of comprehending. It has to go to the level of your actual attitude. How do you view the world? What is your attitude towards the world, towards others? And then, how do you act? All of this. So in Islam, aql goes all the way to your action. Your action is included in your aql. If you understand this, then you understand why there is this insistence on aql. Because it even includes your actions that are derived directly from your point of view, which is ideological, which is based on your beliefs. I'll just go a little bit faster here. Um, the next ahadith, the next one that we had, مَنْ تَرَكَ الْإِسْتِمَاعَ مِنْ ذَوِي الْعُقُولِ مَا تَعَقْلُهُ If someone stops listening to those who have aql, his own aql dies. So this was the link, one of the linkages. Maybe the others, I didn't highlight them enough. This one, I think, is the clear link to this idea of collective intelligence we talk about. You can't be in a seclusion from, or in isolation from others, from other uqul and those who truly have aql. You can't be in isolation of them and still hope to have a stronger, better aql. You have to surround yourself with those people, which opens the door to, you know, how are you supposed to be and how are we supposed to be in terms of communities, in terms of living in society. Who do you surround yourself with? And what if you don't do that? The only alternative the Imam is saying is basically people who don't have aql. Either no one or people who don't have the aql. And the end result is the same. The Imam says that your aql dies. Mata aql. Okay? So your ability to view things as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to view them dies. That's how we define aql. The next hadith. There's a lot of hadith here that I'm skipping over because we're going to come back to them under different themes, under different headings. We'll finish the, this part with these few hadith quickly. 
The first one, Imam Ali alayhi salam says, Man istaghna bi'aqlihi zal. Whoever considers himself self-sufficient, he only relies on his own aql, he thinks that his aql is sufficient and enough, zal. He has made a mistake, he has slipped. He's not saying, this is to me the interesting part in this hadith. The Imam is not saying he will slip, he will make a mistake and he will fall. The Imam says he has slipped. The fact that you have isolated yourself, the fact that you are not seeking other uqul, people who have aql, that you think you're self-sufficient and self-reliant, that in itself is the, the first part of the zalla, the first part of the slip up and the mistake. You have to have other uqul around your aql, unless you're ma'asum, unless you have a direct contact with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you have some sort of guarantee that your aql is infallible. Otherwise, you need other uqul. And again, there's an individual component to this, but there's a community component to this. Okay? Keep that in mind. The second hadith, Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, and we talked a little bit about that earlier, as-sukutu rahatun lil Silence, quietness, is a rest, is a state of rest for the aql. So the aql needs rest. That's a first teaching we extract out of this. We need to learn how to rest our aql. There's a time to rest it so that it can come back to its full activity. And the Imam is teaching us one way to achieve that is through silence and quietness. And this is a very important theme in Islam. And it has ramifications. We talked a little bit about understanding Islamic teachings in a holistic way. There's a social component to this. There's a psychological component to this. There's a spiritual component to this. When you feel, true, truly feel that you may not have something really worthwhile to say, because you don't have that arrogance and that cockiness that my knowledge is worth saying and worth spreading, you will stay quiet. There's a spiritual component to this. And if you don't have it, just the exercise of practicing before you open your mouth and start talking is, is this worth saying? What good is going to come out of me saying this? If nothing, then be quiet. There's wisdom in that. And then, of course, you know, today, the psychology around those who meditate and how much benefit you get just for calming your, your mind down, your ability to reap the physical benefits of quietness. And then, of course, the less you talk, the less chances you have of making mistakes. Okay? And so on and so forth. There's a lot. Inshallah, we're going to talk about silence in the future, quietness and all of that. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, and this is another one that I want you to park for now. We're going to come back to this, this idea where Imam Ali alayhi salam says, لا عقلك التدبير There is no aql like tadbir. Tadbir can be interpreted as or translated as good management, organization, coordination. All of the affairs are scattered. You know how to manage them administer them properly, get to them in an orderly way. Imam Ali says this is one of the signs of aql. 
that no matter what is happening, someone knows how to do the tadbir, the good management of what is going on. Inshallah, we're going to come back to that. This is part of the importance of keeping aql at the practical level when we live our lives. What, how does that come out? What does Islam say? How are we supposed to live our lives? Again, Imam Ali salam says, Fi sifati Ali Muhammad, inshallah, we, we remember we talked a little bit about this. So always you, we get the general rules and then we see how they apply. Here he says, This is in Nahj al-Balagh, They have understood or comprehended religion and understanding of wi'ayah and ri'ayah, that they carry it truly and they are caretakers of that knowledge. Remember, we talked about that. There's different types of knowledge. There are people who are not la aqla sama'in wa riwayah. The Imam in the previous narration where we looked at it, he said he wants the ilm to be ilm of dirayah, la ilm riwayah. Not just to be able to retransmit the same information you got to repeat it, to parrot it and repeat it blindly without having internalized it, without being able to do anything with that knowledge to see how it applies and how it doesn't. Right? And so when he talks about Ahl al-Bayt salam, he talks about Alu Muhammad in, in Nahj al-Balagha, he says, They are the ultimate example, the ideal, perfect example of this. They have fully internalized religion. They are the religion. So they are not transmitters of information. They personify the religion in how they think and in how they act. And of course, this becomes our example. This is what we're trying to follow in the footsteps of. And then finally, this hadith, also from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, When the aql slips, when the aql makes a mistake, it is very damaging. The damaging is much bigger than when someone who is not considered aql does the same mistake. And so, someone might say, but this is not fair. No, it's very fair. Given what we have said until now, there is huge merit and huge value and huge worth for having the aql and for having the knowledge that goes with it. But if you have that worth and that merit, it means it comes with a responsibility. It means you have to be, if the other person has to be a little careful, you have to be extra careful before you talk, before you act. Especially if people know that or consider you to be someone who has aql, who has good judgment, who has wisdom, they rely on you, your behavior, your uh, talk, your speech, your lectures, whatever it may be. Then you have to think 10 times or 100 times or 1,000 times because your slip-up causes a lot more damage than the slip-up of someone else. So these go hand in hand. Much more worth and much more importance and much more value, but also much more responsibility and burden. Okay? So... Let's just begin the next, inshallah, the, the next topic. I'm just looking at the time. Or maybe we stop here and then we'll cover the entire next topic in the next time. So maybe we just do a quick recap. The recap for today, the big principles that we took out uh, as we've been doing. Inshallah, this is useful. Let me know if this is useful. The idea is that all of these principles, you can gather them together at the end and then you have a theory of knowledge or aql or all of the other themes. And so these are all the explanations and in every case we are giving the religious scriptural reference to all of these. And as we put them together, we're extracting the principles, which is what we promised. We said the whole point is 
What are the principles of Islamic living? So these are the principles for today. The first one, true knowledge and true aql go together. So we began with that today. So they don't contradict each other. And of course, when we say they don't contradict true knowledge and true aql do not contradict each other. So what are these? And inshallah, we're going to talk more about that when we reach fitrah, this topic of our innate nature, to what extent can we rely on it or not, so on and so forth. Inshallah, all of this will come together. So there are religious truths, the truths that are supposed to come to us from religion and scripture. There are the truths that we think we know in our, in our gut, in what we can call our primal nature, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us. There's all the knowledge that we acquire, everything we get from society, and we're supposed to make sense of all of this, right? So here we're saying knowledge and aql are not supposed to contradict each other. So here we have some criteria, and within that, we have to work with everything else we're getting. Aql is a faculty with a portion of it that is granted at birth, but it is possible to modify it. This is something that came up a few times. And how do we modify it? The hadith gave us two big means. One of them is through knowledge. And the more knowledge you use with your aql, the more it expands your aql. And the other one, experience. If with the condition that you actually extract the lessons and you make use of them. True aql is distinguished, is to distinguish or to identify the lesser of all evils. The Imam says this is the higher level of aql, is that you are not only able to distinguish good from bad, but you're actually able to do that operation when it all seems to be bad. Are you able to find the lesser of all of these bads, of all of these non-ideal situations, and still go with that which is the option to choose, that you're supposed to choose in that type of world. Teaching and learning, but teaching enhances aql. And we saw a few hadith about that. Teaching is a responsibility of having aql and of having knowledge. People have different levels of aql and of knowledge. So this is something very important. It means it has to show in our behavior towards them. Islam distinguishes clearly between those who reject the truth knowing it and those who do not know the truth fully yet. That's a very clear distinction. And then, because there are people who do not have that type of knowledge, whatever it may be, our position towards them is supposed to be mercy, which means, if possible, we're supposed to do something about it. If you have mercy towards anyone, if you have compassion towards anyone, you can't let, just let them be. If possible, try to help one way or another. Aql in Islam has an ethical and a practical dimension. So part of the ethics is just by us saying there is a responsibility that if you know you have to teach, you have to spread, you have to share. That's already part of the ethics of aql. We began talking about it in the past and the other piece is it has to show in your behavior. This is a practical consideration of aql in Islam. And so we, it goes as far as, for instance, what is the company you hold? Who are the people you surround yourself with? And what should we do in our communities so that this continues and that this grows? 
and that we produce the type of community, which inshallah comes up in our discussion, that we think all of this is supposed to be leading towards. The next point, very related to this, Islam values collective aql, collective intelligence, collective reasoning, collective knowledge. Which when we began the series, we talked about knowledge societies and so on and so forth. Silence and quiet or minimizing speech where possible is highly valued in Islam for all sorts of different ways, including psychological, spiritual, social, and others. There are duties that come with both knowledge and aql. We talked about that, and then all these are, by my count today, 16 new principles that Islam is putting in place in view of aql. So let's stop here. Inshallah, the next time we meet, we will go through the verses of the Holy Quran that talk about why is Islam putting so much emphasis, so much importance, so much value to these two very important central focal points in Islam, knowledge and aql. Inshallah, we'll continue with that, as we said, this time by focusing on the verses of the Holy Quran. So let's stop here and then we can have a quick Q&A and a discussion depending on your interest. Wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin. So, are there any questions, concerns, comments? It's a, th so the question is, you know, uh, uh, while understanding the importance of quietness and silence, uh, how do you balance that with having to speak the truth? So this, this would require a whole <laughs> series of lectures. I don't think we can cover it in, in, a, in a quick answer. But if we can provide a quick answer, it was in the hadith itself that if you are talking, you are talking because it is good because you have something good to say. And we know for sure, and inshallah, we're going to get to that explicitly, how important it is to establish truth and right and justice in the world. If we can, of course, we have to take all of these principles into consideration. But ultimately, speaking the truth, because it's the truth, this is considered good. And in those cases, it might be a lot better, infinitely better than staying silent. Unless you can't unless there's more harmful, but that's why the hadith says, if it is the good, unless it is for the good, unless there is a virtue, illa min khair. If there's a khair, if there's something greater to that requires to speak, you speak. You can't, even, even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, at some point, it talks about those people who, who are harmed, for instance, when something bad happens, for instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, it's better not to talk about it. Unless a right has been usurped, has been someone's right is being abused. If there is vulum happening, if there's an injustice happening, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like people to talk about you know bad things happening again coming back to the idea of unless there is something better or more important in this case Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says if an injustice has been committed against you speak out he doesn't want a world of injustice illa man zulim if if there's zulm that has happened, if there's abuse that has happened, speak out. Okay, so this is your right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that in Surah Al-Isra. But this is a very big topic, inshallah, we'll, we'll get to it. Other questions? Yeah, tafadlu. I have a, like a suggestion for either today or future. But I don't know if there's a, like we're doing QA, Q&A only or discussion well or both together, but when we start the discussion part, since we're talking about collective habit, uh, we have like more of a circus where we bounce ideas off each other, we're actually having a discussion or just a question uh, yeah, so the idea is that for the discussion part, it becomes a discussion and slowly, I think uh, uh, our discussions <laughs> that have come up in the past couple of weeks is that uh, we're going to need a couple of weeks to get accustomed to that new way of dealing with things. So as you can see, we do have the half circle now. We, we've started and inshallah we're going to get there. So the questions I've prepared for the discussion, I haven't p- asked them yet. Uh, I did send them on the group so that people think about it. They said that would be better for people to have them in mind so that we have a better discussion. But it's just for now, it's just to see if there's any clarifications or the, for the Q&A part. And then inshallah we'll, we'll try to push it towards the discussion part. And I'm going to ask you to lead the discussion now. Since you raised your hand. <laughs> so any other questions or clarifications we need or anything that we covered that's not clear today? So for the discussion part, the I thought a good place perhaps to, to start. One of the questions, which is the one that I sent, is based on everything that we've been saying, so we talked about the importance of knowledge, the value, the worth of knowledge in Islam, and then the importance of aql in Islam. The question is, when you put everything that you've heard until now together, what type of human being do you feel Islam is trying to build? So not, you know, high level, you know, as they say, 50,000 feet, generalizations practically what does that look like what does that person look like if all of this is starting to become reality if it's starting to become concrete actions and concrete steps taken by people what would that start looking like that's the first level level and to me the second level of that question is then what type of community would you have so when you have more than one person, if you, it could be 5, 10, 20, it needs to start somewhere. If you have people who actually believe in these types of principles and these types of teachings, what type of people are we talking about? And then what type of community, it's probably not going to happen on its own, that's why I'm asking, what needs to happen for this type of community, community of these types of like-minded people to start coming together and what does that look like? So what does it look like at the individual level? What does that look like at the community level? And this is just the beginning of a discussion. 
because I think as the topic is going to evolve, we still have a few lectures left in, in this topic of knowledge and reason and rationality. I think the idea is going to become a lot clearer and evolve. I'm sure in, with every lecture, your, your, your thoughts are probably evolving and maturing and changing. Okay? So that, I thought this would be my, my first, uh, you know, hopefully I put that on the table and I leave it to you guys to, to react to it and to react to each other's points to that. So who wants to go first? So the only thing I would say for for the discussion part is um, I began the question 
with the individual first. And this might be the key to to what you're asking. I'm not saying this is a full answer, uh, but I feel we jumped very quickly to what needs to happen at the community level. But the first part of the question was, what does that individual look like? If these teachings are actually internalized, they've become concrete, what does that person look like? What does their day look like? What kind of person are they? What are the, what would you say are their main traits? So you began with that, you talked about their strength and uh, their mercy, for instance, the compassion they show to others. What else? So this is, I think, the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more. And then, I think then, (laughs) once that is clear, and we have a critical mass of these individuals, then we can, I think, move to the second part of what you're talking about. That's how I see it. Yeah. And, and I think one of the best traits for that is, is being able to be level-headed. And I think that, that that's kind of, uh, when, when you explain all the, the points, that's kind of the image I'm seeing in my head is the level-headed. <coughs> That can go by that, but it's also it's also very uh, like you said. Uh, there's there's uh, a man of virtue takes pride in his virtue because there's it's it, it takes uh, it's very hard to stay on a virtuous path. There's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of things you do, so it's uh, uh, sorry, I'm not sure. it was like uh, you. Uh, it's, it's, it's not it's, it's not an easy path to take and when you take it you take pride in it uh, in staying that and that's why I think being level headed is is kind of the characteristic that comes that comes in mind uh, to me when, and and when you have when when somebody knows what that's like when you see somebody else that's that has that same virtue there's a certain level of respect for that between each other. So just so that, uh, you know, I, I place these little points in your minds as we go through these lectures, these are excellent points. The level-headedness, inshallah, is going to be part of something we discuss in a lot more depth when we talk about character building and, and uh, you know, character traits and what Islam wants the youth specifically, but people in general to build in terms of traits in their character. That's one. So keep that in mind so that when we talk about it, you see that, inshallah, we're addressing it. The second one is that it is hard. And it is hard. And we already talked about that. And today I was hoping to get to the verses of the Qur'an. We didn't. So inshallah, keep it in mind when we go to the verses of the Holy Qur'an, where it will be very clear that depending on your knowledge, what you know, you don't view things the same way. And something that may be extremely difficult for someone else may be less difficult or even easy for you because of what you know and because of what they don't know. So that's something to keep in mind. Inshallah, we'll see what the Holy Quran says about that. So just uh, in case, you know, when we go through it, I don't mention it that way. Inshallah, you recognize it in the verses of the Quran when it talks about this. Okay, the link between the need for resilience and patience and, you know, strength and fortitude to go through this type of, 
you know, virtuous being uh, virtuous, and knowledge. Okay, inshallah, this becomes clear when we go through it. But that's all. So, who else wants to go? Uh, just based yeah. off of the main topics of the last uh, few lectures, I think uh, Islam wants people who make decisions based on uh, knowledge that they have acquired through study and uh, their aql, rather than whatever emotions or temptations they have uh, day to day um, in their lives. So it wants people who are actively seeking knowledge and using that knowledge to make everyday decisions. That is a very good summary of what we have said. And it will be excellent to build on, I think. Someone who is living their lives based on their study and their aql and their level-headedness as opposed to the immediate desires and emotions, as you said. That's an extremely important point. What else? So I think this person, like in my mind, the way I see it is that uh, they're able to balance religion and daily life very well. So, so of course, not only do they have, they have knowledge of religion, but they have knowledge of the pressing issues that are going on in their society at that time. And I think that's important because one of the things that Islam tries to do is that these people start becoming influencers uh, in their society. Uh, because of the knowledge that they have, and not only influencers in the Islamic community, but they start becoming influencers uh, to everybody. And I think then when we sort of talk, start talking about the community, if we talk about a community of these types of individuals, of individuals, then they can start making a big change in the society. And I think that's one of the things that Islam tries to establish for these types of individuals. I think this is an excellent point too. I don't want to be the first to react to every point. But the idea that these people understand the world in which they live in and that they influence it, they influence it religiously and they influence it beyond the religion too, just the world at large within their families and communities and beyond. But this also means that they've balanced all of these priorities, internalized them and balanced them, right? So excellent point and inshallah something we're going to talk a lot more about in the future but yeah maybe another question related to this or not I leave it completely up to you is that you know what has stood out to you or is there anything that has stood out to you until now I think a lot of the points a lot of the ideas a lot of the you know the the let's say, the, the nuggets of information that we're presenting, I don't think any of this is entirely new to any of you. So a lot of this has to do with you know, how we're presenting the information. We can call it the packaging of it, the context we put around it, and how we direct it. We, we give it, the structure of it gives it new meaning, right? There is meaning in the structure of how the information is being presented. So I'm curious to see to what extent what stands out to you in all of this? And this is, I think, something very personal that will change very much as we've just heard that people are focusing on different aspects of this. What stands out to you from everything we've said about knowledge and from aql, and we're not done? There's a lot more to come. What stands out to you 
until now. I guess what stands out the most is that you should acquire, um, I guess, enough knowledge to not be ignorant or neutral about certain topics, um, and to be able to make, you know, say I actually made this decision based on my, you know, the knowledge that I have acquired. Um, yeah, that's one thing. So there's an imperative or necessity or. A constantly acquire knowledge before making decisions, yeah. Also for me similar to that was the idea that you're either seeking knowledge or you're in a state of uh, ignorance or jihad. So for me I look at myself and I think am I doing enough to be considered somebody who's seeking knowledge or, or am I somebody who's considered to be in ignorance? Um, there's just the idea that there's no in-between was uh, surprising or, or big for me as well as the idea that seeking knowledge uh, is, is more rewarding than doing uh, excessive worship and and by a big magnitude as well so because um, from what we're taught growing up we're always taught to do you know certain acts of worship and you know the reward for this act of worship will be this and if you do this you'll get that but there was never any focus on um, uh, seeking knowledge and reading and and um, you know doing these acts which are much more important than worship Uh, and you said this you lectured a little bit that thing, but it's, uh, it's, it's being able to copy, be able to move in certainty in places of uncertainty so having good judgment and having non- uh, wisdom to be able to apply knowledge that you receive gives you a better possibility to move in the world with certainty uncertainty is very uh, stressful person and also always leads to uh, I forget the words in English but halak of the person right? ruin yeah this is an excellent point and this is part of inshallah when maybe we'll talk there's a theme that's starting to emerge and it's it's a we're definitely gonna at least dedicate one or two lectures to it um, but understanding the world in which we live in uh, from specifically from this point of view, what has changed that today's world? Some people refer to it as a postmodern world. W- what is a postmodern world? Well, you know what? What are the main traits of this world? And a huge part of postmodernism or postmodernity is the lack of stability of meanings and values, which creates a situation where people are constantly in a state of anxiety because of the doubts the relativity around everything. Okay, so inshallah we, we get to that. And if we don't, you know, let's get back to it and remind, uh, remind ourselves it's an important topic. But that's an excellent point. Thank you. What else? Also. 
when you say purpose do you mean a higher level or you know my personal purpose versus your personal purpose Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the finding purpose, being someone who has purpose and works towards a goal, I think is a very important one. Um, I, I remember there's a very you know, popular saying these days that, you know, very well known, it's a quote, the unexamined life is not worth living to uh, some thinkers and philosophers who have said that. Um, in a lot of cases, that's, you know, a, as I would go through the hadith, that's one thing that constantly came back to my mind when I go through them. That, you know, are you living the examined life or are you going along with what is there? When you're saying that you're actually thinking about everything that you're being exposed to, is this real knowledge or, you know, fluff? Uh, and is this something worth spending time on? And are you interpreting it in the right way? And then what does it mean now that you know this? And to me, I wanted to end the discussion. I was hoping to end the discussion with the so what? So, and this is, you know, if, if there's one mantra, <laughs> one, one way to look at all of you, we don't have time to do it this way. But you know, at the end of every verse of the Quran that we will see, or af after every hadith, now there's the what? Which is, okay, there's this information that we just got out of this hadith, or these 10 hadith or this principle that we were able to extract. And then there's beyond the what is the so what. Now that we know this, now what? What do you do with this information? And so this is where I would hope that the discussion starts going, and it already started going in that direction. Um, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? And this exercise of constant introspection, which we always have to be doing, this deep reflection, that you examine yourself, that you do it in a modest way, there's no arrogance, it's objective, it's level-headed, that you deal with the facts, you deal with your state, and this works at the level of the individual. Am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I performing at the level I'm supposed to be performing at? And what is missing if I'm not? And most likely I'm not, because there's always room for improvement. And then the same exercise has to happen at the level of the community. So if I'm part of a community, and we're starting here small at our level for a community of believers, you know, people come together, like-minded people. When you come together and you have this type of background, then is it set up in the way it's supposed to? Are we performing at the level we're supposed to as a community? And specifically based on the teachings of knowledge and aql, what else can be done? 
what else can I do, not can be done? We should rephrase those statements always as what can I do? How am I going to contribute to this so that I'm doing my share, I'm benefiting individually, and I'm also providing a benefit to the greater community. So inshallah, this is where the discussions go, unless anyone wants to react to anything. And of course, I'm always interested in the higher, but perhaps a little bit less concrete uh, points related to these constant attacks that we hear about religion in general or Islam specifically that does it still have anything worthwhile to say in today's world especially in a world where there is an information explosion right there's a knowledge boom as they say or an informational boom and everybody is moving towards these knowledge societies and the fourth industrial revolution and so on and so forth does Islam still have anything relevant to say and to me I would say personally like my uh, as I go through these hadith the especially when you go uh, when you uh, examine these hadith or just read them one after the other it, it hits you the importance that our religion is supposed to be giving to all of these notions all of these values and then yet here we are let's I don't know if we would say we're in a state of decline when it comes to you know being knowledge societies or information societies but we certainly have a lot of ground to catch up to before we say and inshallah this will become a lot clearer when we go through the verses of the Quran that there's an expectation that we are leading the knowledge revolution that we lead the information revolution so are we doing that is this who we are do we represent the type of information and knowledge seeking and aql that we are finding in the hadith individuals and communities or societies and if not what needs to change so that the that which is today in today's world this is what's considered the top value the greatest commodity the most powerful entity which is knowledge our religion says and has been saying for 14 centuries that that is the most important thing there is nothing more fundamental there is nothing more core than this have we actually done that does it match do our actions and our outlooks on life does it match with those teachings or not and if not then what needs to happen what do we do so that concretely maybe now maybe the next generation or next generations we start going back to creating people who have the centrality of knowledge and information right in the middle of their outlook, right? The core of their outlook. In any case, this is now me venting and, uh, and sharing my thoughts as I read these hadith too. And I'm reacting to the points that you guys are, are, are sharing too. Any last thoughts, comments, questions, concerns? Is this format working? It's okay? So inshallah, as, as the weeks go by, I will slowly take a more passive role in the discussion and you guys will lead it yourselves with Hassan being the, the leader of the discussion. <laughs> inshallah, I'm not kidding. Inshallah. <laughs> okay, we're good? Okay. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.